Good morning. Let me do a brief advertisement here. Tomorrow night, we are hosting Kingdom Builders. It's family night, so all men and women and boys and girls are encouraged to attend. We're going to serve a meal here tomorrow night at 5.30. So men, take your wives out for supper. All right. It's going to be some uh, pulled pork barbecue that uh, is being uh, fixed. Compliments of Fred and Sheila Williams here in our church. And so uh, be here tomorrow night. Our kingdom builders through the years, it's been hard to get new people to attend. And the group has progressively gotten older. And so where we used to run 100 to 120, now we run in the 50s and 60s a lot of the time. And on ladies' nights, sometimes we'll hit 100. I would challenge New Hope to have 100 people here tomorrow night. We had 207 last Sunday in worship. Let's have half of them here tomorrow night. I just want to really encourage you to come. Les Bolt is going to preach. Uh, Les is coming up from Katy, Texas. Uh, not just for this, he's preaching a revival down at Keensburg uh, this week too with his son, son Lance. And so uh, be here tomorrow night if you can. Don't just brush it off. Be here, and I think you'll be blessed. Luke chapter 15, if you'd turn there today, Luke 15. If you're visiting with us, we are in a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke. We're in that portion of his gospel that we call the travel narratives. Chapter 9, verse 51 tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's on his way there for the final time, uh, going to the cross to die for you and me. And so we're looking at some of the things that he taught his disciples in this time before he dies at Calvary. Last words are oftentimes important words. Last words many times are lasting words as well. And so I think these teachings in these final days and weeks of his life are very important. Anything Jesus said, of course, is important. But just to know what he's on his way to do and the things that he stresses to his disciples before he leaves them, I think, are very important. And here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us three parables in a row. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and what most people refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. In these first two parables, something that jumps out at us is the thought of urgency. Urgency. If there's one thing that we need today as Christians in our efforts to connect people to God, in our efforts to share our faith, and our efforts to save people with the gospel of Christ, it's urgency. Let's be honest. We don't have it. Right? I, I'm just being honest. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest urgency, where would you rate yourself in your thoughts about sharing your faith with others? How urgent 
is it for you to do that? Where do you put yourself? I dare say there's probably not a person here that would rate themselves a perfect 10. In fact, probably the majority of us would say, well, I'm, I'm probably below average. And so we see this urgency come out. Urgency is defined as importance requiring swift action. Is it urgent that we tell people about Jesus? Yeah. Is it urgent that we try to lead them to a knowledge that will, will, will lead them to salvation in Him? Absolutely it is. Does it require swift action? Well, it should. But are we moving swiftly to do it? That's the point. In these two parables, this idea of urgency is clearly presented. Now, from the first two verses here in this chapter, we find out the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, we know why Jesus did that, right? He was concerned about their souls. They were lost. He hoped to retrieve them. In fact, in John 10, verse 14, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He sought out lost sheep. And what better way to do it than in the relaxed extended time that comes with sharing a meal, which was the apparent setting for these two parables. We also know that the tax collectors and sinners were a scandalous bunch of people. They were indeed sinful people. For centuries before and after Christ, tax collectors were universally hated. St. Chrysostom said, the tax gatherer is the personification of licensed violence, of legal sin, of spacious greed. In Jewish culture, they were anathematized because they were turncoat Jews who had sold their souls to the Roman tax gathering franchises so that they could prey on their fellow Jewish people. They were loathed in every way. Synagogues would not accept offerings from tax gatherers. That's how bad they were looked at. Their testimony was not received in a Jewish court. They were held to be worse than the heathen. So as such, along with the sinners that are mentioned here, those that were immoral or not living according to what the culture dictated, they were in desperate need of saving. And the only people more scandalous in this account than the tax gatherers and the sinners were who? <laughs> the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders. They were even more scandalous. They could care less about these sinners. And not only did the Pharisees not care about the tax collecting scum and their like, they were upset that Jesus cared. They didn't want him to care about them. So they were continually mumbling, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So they put the worst possible interpretation on Jesus' ministry here, ignoring his reaching out, preferring to view him as in secret sympathy with these sinners. This, despite the fact that Jesus taught a far more demanding morality than the Pharisees. I mean, just read the Sermon on the Mount and you'll see that. The scandal was that as leaders of Israel, these scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders were considered 
under-shepherds of the shepherd, God. They should have been the ones going after these people, but they were failing in their task, just as their fathers of old had done when Ezekiel prophesied against them. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 34, he wrote, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Wow. And the thrust of Ezekiel's prophecy is clear. Since the under-shepherds of Israel had failed, God himself would shepherd and rescue the people. Now, how's God going to do that? Well, the prophetic answer is so astounding and clear. Again, in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 23, it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, who is this David? Jesus. Absolutely. It wasn't King David, because at the time of Ezekiel's prophecy, King David had been dead for a long time. This David is none other than the ultimate son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was David's tribe. Jesus, the son of David and the son of God. And so it was through Jesus, the good shepherd, that God the Father would shepherd his people. These religious leaders, these under-shepherds, they couldn't have cared less about these people. But the good shepherd couldn't have cared more. And these three parables in Luke 15 show this so well. It also shows God's joy when he finds a lost sinner. Jesus would later say in Luke 19.10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. And that's what these first two parables really emphasize. They emphasize the urgency of the search. This section of Luke's gospel has been called the heart of his gospel because right here Luke's great theme of God's love and mercy for sinful, humanity, for sinful human beings and his call for repentance and conversion, man, it just comes full force at you right here. And as we examine these first two parables this morning, you're going to notice the loss and the search and the recovery and the joy. The loss and the search and the recovery 
and the joy. So notice, beginning in verse 3 of Luke 15, he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So notice the loss. Both parables begin on the, on the note of loss. A shepherd loses one of his flock. A woman loses a coin. The Palestinian sheep was then and is today the so-called broad-tailed sheep. The tails of these sheep are extremely large, and they weigh on average from 10 to 15 pounds each. These sheep have always been valuable to their owners, to many of the Jews in ancient times. Sheep represented the chief wealth and their sole means of livelihood. Sheep provided food to eat, milk to drink, wool for the making of cloth, flesh for the offering of numerous sacrifices. Because the sheep were by nature wayward and defenseless, it was necessary that they have constant supervision. So this shepherd here has a considerable flock of sheep, a hundred of them. So he's moderately well off. So on paper, the loss of just one single sheep really wouldn't affect his estate that much. On the other hand, the loss of the coin was very serious for this woman. Apparently, she was poor. The coin, a, a drachma, was about a day's wage for a laborer, no great amount, but nevertheless, a great loss for this woman. Some scholars have suggested that in this case, the coin was especially valuable to the woman since it formed an ornament for her head. It was customary for Jewish women to save up ten coins and string them together either as a necklace or a hairdress. And the ornament became a treasured possession. It was worn as the sign of a married woman, very much like a wedding ring is worn today. Some suggested that this coin was part of her dowry or that it was given to her by her husband. But at any rate, whether as a part of her cherished jewelry or simply as something of monetary worth, this coin was of priceless value to the woman, which is evident from her diligent search. So we notice the loss, but notice the search itself, because both the shepherd and the woman begin their search when? Immediately. Immediately. There's the urgency. 
Where is ours? There's an urgency about it. He searched because he cared for his sheep. Now, there were sheep all around them, and everyone knows that sheep get lost. It was a common problem. They kind of wander aimlessly as they graze, and pretty soon they look around and they're all alone. You know what a sheep does when it's no longer with the flock and there's no other sheep around? It will lie down and bleat until someone comes and finds it. That, that, that's what a sheep would do. So often looking for a lost sheep then would be a group effort. And probably many in Jesus' audience had been on a sheep hunt, if not for themselves, then for a friend or a neighbor. So the shepherd will leave the 99 other sheep to look for one. Presumably, he leaves the other 99 sheep with some helpers. I doubt if anyone was foolish enough to leave a flock of sheep unattended in the open country. So the shepherd then begins to search until he finds that lost sheep. When the woman discovers the coin is missing, she at once lit her little oil lamp that probably she could hold in her hand, and she began to sweep. A lamp was necessary for the search, even in daytime, because the houses at that time, many of them were built without windows and with just a single door. Now, in the house, there was no wood flooring, no stone flooring, anything like that. Probably just the packed earth covered over with dried reeds or rushes, something like hay or straw. And with a floor like that, there's a lot of places where a coin could be lost. All of that made the search just a very difficult and trying experience. And so nothing was left unturned as she would search probably upon her knees. She had to find that coin. Jesus was saying, as the parables turn out, that the shepherd and the woman both reveal his heart as he searches for lost people. His shepherd's compassion for lost souls and the immediate value that he places on lost souls. So you have the loss and you have the search. But now notice the recovery and the joy. Because the two storylines are virtually identical in respect to the recovery and the resulting joy. Of the shepherd, we read when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. They all knew the joy of finding a lost sheep. Not only were sheep a valuable agricultural commodity, a lot of times they were almost like pets. They each had their own name. They were clearly dependent on the care of the shepherd. And so the shepherd and the sheep had a tender relationship. And that relationship was so strong that they wouldn't follow a stranger's voice. They would only follow the voice of their shepherd. And if it's natural to look for lost sheep, how much more should we expect God to look for lost people? And how does he do that today? Through you and me. We are the means of the search. And Jesus is doing exactly what we would expect God to do, seeking and saving the lost. And now, that is our work.
And there's joy in finding what was lost, right? Just as we rejoice over something lost that has been found, God does the same thing. If you've got $1,000 in the bank and you lose a $100 bill, you're going to look until you find it, right? Yeah. You're going to look until you find it. And when you find it, you are more thrilled about the $100 bill being found than you are that you still had $1,000 in the bank. Right? You're thrilled that you find that. And the woman's recovery of the coin is mentioned without details, but she and the shepherd have virtually identical responses. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And by the way, the Greek word for friends in that particular verse is feminine. I don't know if she ever told her husband, but she told her lady small group. She told the sewing circle, whatever, okay. Yeah. Her friends in her laughing and embracing her for her good fortune while she's dancing with joyous excitement over that, that coin that she had found. So you have the recovery and the joy. Now let's make some application. The application is given to us by Jesus himself. It's identical in both cases, verse 7 and verse 10. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons that need no repentance. And verse 10, in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God rejoices in the presence of his angels when the lost are found. Why? Well, it's because a sinner repents. He turns from sin. The life changes. The Pharisees had a saying, There is joy before God when those who provoke Him perish from this world. In other words, God is pleased when bad people die. Is He? No. No. Jesus said there's joy in heaven before the angels of God when one sinner repents. God is kind. He's compassionate. He's more understanding than men. He doesn't dismiss these tax collectors and sinners as worthless. He feels deep in his heart the joy of joys when one of them comes home. They're important to him. They're valuable to him. So valuable that he'll search for them. He sent his son to do that very thing, to seek and to save that which is lost. And when the lost are found and when they come home, what joy there is in heaven. Great joy. You know, the earliest existing statue from the Western Church dates from the 3rd century, and it's a statue of the Good Shepherd bearing the recovered lamb on his shoulders. It is thought to have first come from the catacombs, and that statue you see there can be seen today in the Lateran Museum in Rome. Evidently, the persecuted post-apostolic church found immense comfort in the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus mentioned here that he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, pictures tender love, because that lost sheep is more than a missing piece of livestock. And can't you just see the shepherd spying the sheep? And, and seeing it alive and running to it and picking it up and checking it over and plucking away some thorns and maybe even nuzzling it 
and then joyfully hoisting it high on his shoulders and, and striding home. The shepherd, of course, is our Savior, Christ Jesus. He takes lost, perishing sinners on his powerful shoulders and takes them to his own home. He began carrying us while he was still on the cross as he carried all of our sins on his omnipotent shoulders. Tom read it from Isaiah this morning. So there are some challenges that these two parables present to us today. One challenge is this. If you're a shepherd of the flock, a shepherd of the congregation, how urgently are you searching for the sheep that have become lost from this flock? Where's our level of urgency? Are you searching diligently for them? Or are you like the shepherds Ezekiel described in the Old Testament? Well, I hope not. Good shepherds search for lost sheep. There's a challenge for those of us, all of us that are Christians here. Stay with the flock. Stay with the flock. Don't get lost. Don't go off by yourself. You know that old illustration. You take a burning ember out of the fire and you set it aside. What happens? It goes out. You got to stay in the fire. You need to stay with the flock. So be here each Lord's Day. Encourage the others that are a part of this flock. Make the shepherd's job easier and a joy because all of the sheep are here. And let's help the shepherds in the search for lost sheep. Let's help. Help bring them back. Take notice of those that used to be here that aren't anymore, that have drifted away. And let's go look for them, assuming they want to be found. Let's assume that. And let's go find them. And then let's rejoice when they come back. There's also a challenge here if you're lost right now. Let us know. Let us know. Lost sheep would usually bleat until they were found. So do some bleating. <laughs> Send out a cry. Send out a shout. If you want to be found and not lost, there's no harm in letting us know that. So that we can help you to find out what you need to do to be found. If you're lost and without Christ and you want to be saved for eternity, we can help you with that. We can share the information from God's Word that tells us how to become a saved person, how to go to heaven, how to become a Christian. However you phrase that, we can help you find that information and guide you through the Scriptures to do what God wants you to do. So don't be afraid to, to let us know that. You are worth saving. You are. You know how I know that? Because Christ Jesus died on the cross for you. That's how much he loved you. You are worth saving. And if you want to be saved for eternity, don't be afraid to let us know. 
and we will help you into the flock and into the joy of salvation by obeying the gospel as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then all of heaven will rejoice over you. Each one of you that are already Christians, there was a day when you made that good confession. That day that you accepted Christ, you were immersed for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, you caused heaven to rejoice. But there's a lot more rejoicing that could take place in heaven if we Christians would get a sense of urgency about seeking and saving lost people. Next Sunday, during our Sunday school hour, we're going to begin an eight-week class again called Entry Point. Some of you have been through that in the past. But if you're looking for what you need to do in order to be saved, in order to become a member of this congregation, in order to gain eternal life, however you want to phrase that, that's part of what that class is going to be about. We're going to talk about what must I do to be saved. We're going to talk about baptism. People have questions about that. Uh, we'll talk about the Lord's Supper. There are people that have questions about that. We're going to talk about some of the basic things that, that we hold to and that we believe from the Scriptures. If you want to know what New Hope Christian Church is all about, don't be afraid to sign up right out here in the front foyer for that small group, that class called Entry Point. It, Huh? Okay. Come and tell me. I think they put the sign-up sheet in my office. And we'll get your name on that sign-up sheet. It's going to begin meeting next Sunday. If I understand correctly, we're going to meet in Audra's office. First door on your left when you go through those doors. And so you just come there next Sunday for Sunday school. And that might be one way that you can tell us, I want to be found. All right? I don't know where you stand in regard to the message today, but all of us here need to have a sense of urgency. When will Jesus return? Anybody got an answer to that one? I hope not, because Jesus himself didn't know. Only the Father, he said, knew. But could it be today? Yeah, it could. Could it be tomorrow? Yeah. So let's, let's get that sense of urgency in bringing lost sheep back to the fold so heaven can rejoice. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision. If you have decisions to make today, public decisions, you can meet me down front. Just step out and come down and we'll talk about that. You can make pub private decisions right where you stand. But let's do what Jesus has called us to do. Let's seek and save and rejoice. Let's sing.